0: Welcome to your Optimal Personal Economy podcast with Justin Bennett. Your personal economy is your ability to create, protect, preserve, and utilize your wealth, your financial world. Justin will share strategies and stories to help you optimize your personal economy. Now, on to the show with Justin Bennett and co-host Matt Halloran.
1: Hello and welcome to episode number seven with Justin Bennett with your own personal economy. This is what's more important, savings rate or rate of return. Justin, hello, and I'm ready to learn from you today.
0: How you doing, Matt?
1: I'm doing pretty darn good. So what is more important here, man, rate of return or how much you save?
0: Let's take a look and talk about it for a minute and see what does make a larger impact, because I think what ends up happening is when people get caught up in this wealth-building conversation, They immediately go to what the investment rate of return may be or may not be or has been or has not been. And then the conversation gets 100 percent focused on what the rate of return can be into the future. And I think what ends up happening is people need to understand that wealth building, especially when they're, you know, in stride in their career, making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, maybe running a business high-level sales professionals or, you know, even an executive with a corporation, uh, they find themselves creating this income. And I always say that if they could divert their attention to focus on the things that are in their control and away from the things that are not in their control, then we can take a look at what that impact means to them and their planning. So if we jump right in as an example to give some real concrete you know numbers around an analysis and we just assume let's say a 25 year study period and let's say we have income of $400,000 pre-tax income whether it's derived from a business multiple businesses k1s w2s 1099s the the point is is that it's $400,000 of income and what ends up happening is uh my experience is always that the money comes into someone's hands and then they you know, live their life. And so um, there's really three areas that it ends up going to do. It ends up going to tax uh, or taxes. I should say plural. Uh, it ends up going towards various debts, whether it be uh, mortgages or short term debts. And then it also goes to lifestyle today. So it's taxes, debt and lifestyle. And ultimately what's left over is, you know, what we determine to be the savings rate and the savings rate is generally a percentage of the total income. And so what ends up happening is, you know, people are oftentimes left with, you know, roughly call it 5% of their total income. So if they're left with 5% of their $400,000 of income, they start to make decisions around, okay, with that money, where do they put it on their balance sheet in their personal economy towards their wealth building to the extent that they could earn the highest potential rate of return on that money? And so the conversation ends up being, hey, let's let's try to figure out the next fad. It always ends up being like this, this fad, right? So it's like, hey, I got a new investment. You got you to gotta park some money in here. It's yielding you X. And ultimately, it's going to, over the long term, produce Y. And so- People end up getting themselves caught up into this fad game where you know every one to three years they're finding or trying to find new places to put their 5% savings of their total income. And they move through time in this regard. And so what happens is if you look at, let's say, uh, somebody that generates $400,000 of income, and I'm not even assuming right now that that increases year over year. So let's just assume it's a flat $400,000 for the next 25 years that and then they're left with, you know, the ability to save 5% because some of that $400,000 went towards debt, some went towards lifestyle and went some went towards taxes. And let's just say for a minute that money that they save, it earned a 7% growth rate. Year over year looking at it on a linear basis over that 25-year period. After the 25 years, Matt, that would generate $1.3 million of money. So, not too shabby one would look at that and say, hey, that's not so bad. Uh, Then oftentimes what people in our industry uh, look to speak to clients and look to speak to the general public about is, well, hey, maybe what we do is we find that next fad, that next investment that, you know, hopefully will yield you a higher return than the 7%. And so therefore you're going to earn the same 400 over the same 25 years and Let's say you're gonna have some money go to taxes, debt, and lifestyle, and you're gonna save the same five percent of the four hundred thousand. But because you know, I'm jockeying for a position in your life to quote unquote manage your money, be your financial planner, as I do that in air quotes, because I don't even know what a financial planner does these days. It's such a loosely used term, then I can get you this nine percent. So hey, nine percent is better than seven. So it seems like it probably makes some sense. So let's embark on this on this planning approach that would suggest that we can maybe get 9% as opposed to 7 because 9 is more than 7 and people like more than less. and so let's just assume for a minute over those 25 years everything works out fantastic and there's no unplanned life events and there's nothing that changes and somebody that looks at this on a piece of paper or on a screen just assumes that life plays out in that most pleasant way then ultimately the future wealth in that example is $1.8 million. So that's $500,000 more wealth than the previous if you can get 2% more rate of return. So it becomes a little bit more attractive. It becomes a little bit more enticing. It's like, hey, if I can get nine, which is 2% more than seven, I can get $500,000 more. Now, unfortunately, what they don't realize, Matt, is that obviously whatever the return may be, the rate of return, it's outside of any one person's, you know, control, uh, but they make it, you know, their financial decisions and their financial planning approach based off of a lot of times this rate of return. So although we don't say that, you know, either one of those happens to be good or bad, what we say here at Bene Financial is that we can take the same 25 year study period and the same $400,000 of income. And some of that money of course has to go to taxes and debt and lifestyle But if we could concentrate more on how that money, let's say, flows from the 400 to those various areas, resulting in their ability to have a savings rate, so a percentage of the 400. So, if we can, over the course of time, work on a lifetime financial discipline, which is a process, and that's what planning is, it requires a little bit of attention, it requires ongoing attention, and it requires some discipline. We can then say, well, what would the impact be with the same income over the same study period, uh, assuming that money goes towards taxes, debt and lifestyle, but we can kind of control how much goes to those areas, right? Because that's a little bit of uh, areas that are inside of our control. And let's say for a moment, we dial back the rate of return to 5% and we kind of move our attention away from this fad like rate of return conversation, and let's just let's just see what the impact would be if we were to earn 5% on a linear basis over 25 years, earning $400,000, some money going towards taxes, some towards debt, some towards lifestyle, and the ultimate result is a 19% savings rate. So what we're doing is we're dialing up the savings rate from, let's call it a 5% savings rate to a 19% savings rate, and we're dialing down the rate of return from seven, nine uh, in the previous two examples to 5%. And when we ultimately put all this together, 25 year study period, $400,000 of income, 5% growth rate, some money going towards taxes, debt, and lifestyle resulting in the concentration and the control of saving 19% of the 400. Then after 25 years, this person would be left with $3.8 million. So it's actually $2 million more than the, you know, 1.8. And so therefore, what we try to do with our clients and with the people that we work with and that we speak with, Matt, is say, you know, obviously, it's great to get the highest rate of return and simultaneously focusing on the things that we can control and diverting our attention away from the things that we can't control. But ultimately, if we had to give, you know, somebody the option between the two, uh, when somebody actually studies the way in which you know, economic behavior trickles into wealth building, and what becomes more important because we think both are equally as important. But you know, there's this there's this ongoing conversation in the marketplace that one becomes more important than the other, and it ends up being those investment rate of return. Then we can look at what the impact would be, and so we could diffuse all opinions, all sales hype, all innu- innuendo, and we could just jump right into the facts and say, what's going to have a larger impact over one's wealth building potential. Is it rate of return or is it savings rate? But I think the caveat is the challenge, Matt, is that people naturally um, have this lack of patience, right? I mean, that's in everything that we do. We want this immediate gratification in whatever it may be. Uh, We want things yesterday, you know. So there needs to be some understanding that if we're going to craft and put together this type of a planning approach, and we know what the impact will be over the long term, then it helps us come back to the present day decision around how to deploy money and what the impact would look like around the deployment of that money onto one's balance sheet. So it requires a little bit of patience. It requires some discipline. It requires always revisiting that big picture, understanding of how money works. And if we can get, you know, some money that's getting a high rate of return, uh, and some that's maybe not getting as high Then the weighted average might be something less than the higher rate of return. But ultimately, if we can kind of do this from a concentrated, very, very uh, clear and concise and purposeful approach, I think people become pretty excited with what could come as a result of this wealth building potential.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's absolutely fascinating how Just, uh, I mean, and you talk about discipline and you've talked about discipline a lot on these podcasts, uh, would you mind sharing with our listeners just very quickly, some of the techniques or some of the ways that you help implement this discipline?
0: Sure. We're going to, at some point in a future episode, Matt, dig deeper into this because I think this is very, very important. It's a very good topic. Uh, it's a critical topic and I think it's very much overlooked, uh, But ultimately, it comes down to, um, you know, having some structure around money that will be spent today versus money that will be spent tomorrow, as an example. Uh, And so what we do or what we've realized, what we've concluded, if money that has intention to be spent today and tomorrow goes into one checking account, then more times than not, it's all spent or almost all spent today. (laughs) So uh, what we need to do is have an intelligent conversation around uh, money coming into one's economy and bifurcate the money that would be earmarked for today. We call it the burn rate. It's the lifestyle today and have money bifurcated from that checking account and actually go into a separate checking account. We coined that to be a wealth coordination account, a WCA, and that money would be the money that's earmarked for potential wealth building and permanent protection. And it allows, you know, the client to be able to really step back and say, okay, money's coming in. I've got money that's going into, let's call it a personal operating account where bills are paid, lifestyle is lived, and then I've got money going into this other account, this wealth coordination account. And to us, if we can set some structure up around that, which again, we're going to take a deeper dive into this, Matt – We could then start to speak a little bit more intelligently around the deployment of the wealth coordination account and how does the deployment of those monies create a favorable outcome to the extent that somebody wants to arrive at their end game and be able to maximize their future wealth building.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to that podcast. That's going to be a lot of fun to learn from you on on the sort of disciplines that you help your clients implement into their life to make sure that they're able to get this rate of return or really just the rates that we're talking about, right? Not rate of return, but just really saving what you should save and spending what you should spend. Is that a fair statement?
0: That's fair to say. I would clearly say based off of this quick analysis here today on this episode that it's very, very obvious that cash flow Mm -hmm. Money going in, money going out uh, is absolutely critical. And so that's why we spend a lot of time around cash flow, savings rate, debt, taxes and lifestyle and what that means to the person that we're speaking with.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your brain again, Justin. We appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. And that was Episode 7. What's more important, savings rate or rate of return? Registered representative of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. 1150 Raritan Road, Cranford, New Jersey, 07016. Securities, products, and services offered through PAS, a registered broker-dealer. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Bennett Financial Group, LLC, is not affiliated with Guardian. PAS is a member of FINRA and SIPA. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Bennett Financial, and opinions stated are their own.